Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Good morning, everybody. I'm Jonah, they, them, theirs, and I am the lead pastor here at Zao MKE Church. And we are wrapping up a series right now um, called Lost and Found. We're, we're going over these three parables, these three stories that Jesus told that are kind of linked in with one another. So we've already talked about the lost coin. Uh, we've talked about the, the lost sons, um, also called the prodigal son. And now we're talking about the lost sheep. How many folks have heard this story or allusions to this story ever before? Show of hands. Okay, so some of us have, have some imagery here, and in fact, it's, it's all over um, kind of Christian speak. It's sometimes one of those things, I think, that, that um, Christian spaces or, or places that are using references to Jesus or the Bible will just sort of throw in without a whole lot of context. Um, but it means that it kind of works its way into our imagination and into our vernacular. Uh, for instance, reckless love, which we, uh, which we sang earlier in this, in this worship, um, said, you know, you'll leave the 99. Uh, and, and without any, you know, not even talking about sheep, no, no, no mention of farm animals in that one, but just like this concept is so baked in to the way that we talk about, uh, about God and about Jesus that, that we kind of just accept it. And listening to the text just now, one of the things that stood out to me, uh, I've, been, I've been preparing this sermon, I promise, <laughs> but, but hearing the text again, when you really start to listen to it, it's, it's interesting what assumptions we have and what assumptions Jesus has when he's telling it. So he's talking about this and he says, hey, you know, he's, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, this, this story is told in two different places in the Bible, so we'll unpack that a little bit. But in this particular telling, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's warning them not to neglect people, not to leave people behind. And he says, well, what do you think? What do you think? Isn't it obvious, uh, being the subtext, that a shepherd who loses one of his sheep would walk completely away from the 99 to find that sheep? And, and I feel like that's actually not a given. I feel like that's kind of a weird assumption to make. Uh, and so for Jesus to be like, well, what do you think? Of course I would walk away from everything um, to, to find this one little piece because I can't rest until all is made whole. But I think it, it exposes the different assumptions of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus of the ways of the kingdom versus the ways of the world. And so when we, we encounter this story, I want you, if you've ever heard, if you're new to it, fantastic. Fresh slate, dive in with me. If you've heard this before, I want you to just start examining what, what are the things that are baked in for you? What are your assumptions? Because Jesus' assumptions here, I think, are different than ours. And if it were any other thing, if, I, if I'm told 99 sheep, of course, oh yeah, no, abandon the 99, go after the one. But if that was anything else in my life, if that was this community, for instance, oh, one person is, is walking out of, uh, of the gathering space, leave the entire rest of the community to go ask them why, I would have a lot of different assumptions about that, right? Please don't test that. <laughs> But I just, I want us to, to hear this with fresh ears. So uh, Jesus is talking in Matthew to his followers, to his disciples, the people who are trying to steward and take care of the followers of Jesus. And in fact, there are folks who are like, 
you know, hey, we've got to take all of this context um, uh, into, into account that, like, we're not actually hearing what Jesus said in the moment. We're hearing a retelling that was shaped by the early church. And so Matthew, the writer of this gospel, who's telling us what Jesus said, has his own lens, his own perspective, his own priorities about what needs to be communicated. And what he seems to be communicating is like, hey, early church, hey, little newbie Christian communities, hey, um, communities formed from scratch recently, um, Zhao, anyone? As you are in this work together, as you are forming community, do not despise the little ones. And know that if one goes astray, and we'll, we'll get in a little bit um, about what that language really means to go astray. If one goes astray, leave everything and go to find them, to reclaim them, to bring them back. And don't let people be led astray from you. Don't let people be abandoned to the falsehoods of the world. That's Matthew's priority here. The other stories that we've linked this to, the lost coin and the lost sons, they come to us from the Gospel of Luke. Luke has a totally different set of priorities. Luke is speaking to a different audience. And in fact, Luke characterizes all three of those stories in one way. He's talking about repentance, sinners who repent, which is a little confusing because um, I, I don't know any, um, any sheep or any uh, like coins that have the capacity to like cognitive, cognitively repent or change their mind, change their ways. They tend to be really passive actors in this story. So there's a little bit of a, of a, a weird feeling there when we think about our own relationship to repentance, right? We've talked about this a little bit. Rep- sinners repent um, is kind of the vibe that a lot of us get when we hear the word repent. And so there seems to be this difference where Matthew is like, hey, have compassion for these folks who have been led astray. Have compassion for the folks who have been given falsehoods. It's actually your responsibility to go after them and not to leave them behind. And in Luke, it's often read more as people are sinners. Sinners go far away from the flock. They need to repent and come back. But actually, Repentance is a totally different concept now in our uh, kind of angry Bible-thumping culture, our Westboro Baptist culture, right? Repentance has become a word of hate and a word of condemnation, a word of uh, of calling out rather than calling in. I think some of us know the the perils of call-out versus call-in culture. God is not... Uh, is, is not generating that. That comes from us. That's a relatively recent invention, this idea that sinning is this, uh, is this thing that we do that harms God and therefore we need to pay it back. And actually, like in the, in the earliest church, especially with the Eastern influences of the church, sin was talked about in terms of woundedness. Sin was talked about in terms of unwholeness. And so actually, when we're, when we're in this, this parable, this story with these sheep, the sin is that there are 99 and 1. The unwholeness is the sin. And it's not uh, that, you know, that this sheep had like a particularly nasty thought or did something cruel to someone that day. It's that the sheep is separated. And so actually the sin that needs to be repaired, the harm that has been done, is that separation, And so it is the shepherd who brings that one back into the fold and creates this sense of wholeness again that is healing, that is repairing that sin. 
It's not that sheep laying down on the ground and saying, I am not worthy. And we've talked a little bit about that these last few weeks, that our instinct, what we've been taught is to say, we're garbage, we're garbage, we're garbage. But in these parables, there's no place for that. It's just not part of the narrative. It's not important. Why would we do that? It's anathema. Instead, what is needed is for the lost thing, the lost one, this little one who has been despised, to be brought back in and cared for and loved so that all may be made whole, so that the 99 becomes 100 again. And so I want you to hear, um, when, you, when you are hearing these, these stories, these texts from the Bible that talk about repentance, I want you to get that image in your mind. Literally, repentance means to turn back, to turn back, to turn around. So you have this image of being on the path, on the way, on the way of Jesus, and just veering. Now, you may have veered for any number of reasons, or the person who feels separated may have veered for any number of reasons. And so repentance means turning back, a bringing back into fullness. And so that healing, wholeness, holiness is the whole knitting itself back together in the love of God. So as we talk about this, even in Luke with this repentance framework is talking about wholeness, is talking about reconciliation, and is saying, what happens? What happens when a piece of you breaks off? Do you not abandon, do you not walk away from everything to be made whole? And here again is where the instincts of Jesus are different than the instincts of humanity and the instincts of the world as we have been so easily, so often, and so deeply alienated from the parts of ourselves. Reading some of the commentaries on this text, somebody commented about how sheep are not very bright creatures, which is not a comment on humanity's stupidity, but it is a comment on another passage. You see, there's a part in the Gospel of John where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. In the Psalms, in the Jewish texts, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And so we've got this divine image of the shepherd. And in John, Jesus says, my, my sheep know my voice. They know my voice. But what this commentary was saying is sheep may know the voice of their shepherd, but they don't know their own names. And so when Jesus says, I call them by name, it got me to thinking, what if we don't recognize our own name? What if our own name is foreign to us because we have been so deeply alienated from who we are? That we don't remember our home with the 99. That we hear that voice and it calls to us and it sounds familiar, but we can't understand what it is saying because in this time and in this place, we are sheep who have gone astray. And the sound of our name it sounds warm and familiar, but also strange and unrecognizable. That our shepherd knows who we are when we do not. Our shepherd knows our name while we are still searching for it, trying to relearn and remember it, to remember ourselves into the whole. As we've been talking about these parables, we want to examine who are the characters in these parables. Parables never mean just one thing. 
Parables are a tool for us to kind of weave in and out and through and imagine ourselves in different circumstances and imagine what lessons might be there, trusting that the living word of God is holy and active and speaking truth to us in any number of ways. So I've said it before, I'll say it again. If anyone tells you they know the correct interpretation of a parable, walk away. Let's find a interpretation of a parable or several interpretations today through which God will speak truth into our lives. So my first question here is who is who? Who is the shepherd? Who are the 99 and who is the lost sheep? We have been told that God is the shepherd. We, individuals, are the lost sheep. And the 99 are sort of supporting cast, right? But I want us to examine that. These are our assumptions. Let's break it down and imagine what it would be like if we switch those roles around a little bit. So what do we know about the shepherd? We know that the shepherd has 100 sheep. And in that context, that would have made you super rich. Like, people don't just like have 100 sheep. So maybe this person is really wealthy. Or maybe having isn't actually about ownership. Maybe having is caretaking like having charge of, <coughs> in which case that would make this shepherd an actual shepherd laborer, not just a wealthy person who owned some sheep. And in fact, most people who owned a hundred sheep would not be the ones tending to them. So if we've got a shepherd, what do we know and think and feel about shepherds? We're a little removed in our culture. Um, sheep herding is not a super prominent uh, field of work in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But we, again, a lot of our, our images are shaped by our, our dominant Christian culture. And when I say dominant Christian culture, I mean the dominant forces who have co-opted Christian imagery and storytelling, not the ones who are, are actually following Jesus. Let me be clear. But so when we, when we go to the, the shepherd imagery, we think, uh, I think, you know, I don't know what happened in my childhood that got precious moments stuck in my brain. But all the time when I'm thinking of, like, worthless Christian imagery, I just think of these tiny porcelain, like, child Jesuses with their little crooks and their, you know, sheep. And it's another thing that's been just, like, totally stripped of meaning and rendered completely um, powerless. Very nice and very sweet and utterly without power to liberate. So let's, let's back up a little bit. Over Christmas, we were talking about shepherds and how the angels came to the shepherds. And one of the, one of the things that I was talking about at that time was, you know, shepherds are, are low-level um, wage laborers. They were usually young. Um, they were, it's menial work. Like, pretty much most people could do it, but people didn't want to do it. It was undervalued work. And so it was usually young people, young boys who would do it. Um, and so... The analogy we made then was, you know, this is like, like a McDonald's employee. That, like, it's, it's difficult work. It's thankless work. It's work that we as a culture have decided we need done. But it's not work that we reward or hold with high regard. In, in this case... I want us to go a little bit further. We have these images from Israel's history. The Lord is my shepherd, right? There are some beautiful stories I'll tell one later in the Midrash about shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. Important figures were shepherds. This is because in the history of Israel, Israel was nomadic, which meant, you know, you wandered around 
you had all the property that you owned and all the material reality you, you carried with you wherever you went because you weren't settled anywhere, and that included livestock. And so shepherds were really important to bring your property, bring your food source with you wherever you went. But over time, that shifted. Agriculture became the thing. People settled. People started accumulating surplus and wealth. And so shepherds became less revered and more menial labor. Again, this is work that still needs to be done, that everyone in the whole uh, system relies on. And also, it is an afterthought. It is not regarded uh, well. And so I was thinking, what are some other jobs like that in our culture that are so fundamental to the way we order our world, that have such a beautiful history that used to be valued and are now um, considered jobs that are, are for the lowly, for those folks that Jesus seemed to care the most about? And so I was thinking, you know, this is more in our context like, like farm workers who pick and harvest crops. We don't even have like good shorthand language for all of those, of those people in our community who labor for hours and hours, day after day, usually again, day laborers, insecure, um, insecure income, sometimes insecure citizenship status, who make our food possible without whom we would not be sustained and yet our culture has said, you are over here and we, we place you in this lowly way. That is the shepherd. The shepherd in this context is that laborer in the field, caring for and cultivating those things that nourish us, that our community has forgotten, that our community has said, that's for someone else. This is the shepherd. And this is the good shepherd too. This is a shepherd who is paying attention. If you had a hundred animals in front of you and suddenly one of those identical to each other animals wasn't there, how long would it take you to notice? I don't know if I ever would. Sheep all look the same, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think I have face blindness. Maybe that applies to sheep too. Maybe all of you are like, oh, that sheep is totally different from that sheep. But I would have a very difficult time. So this is a shepherd who's paying deep attention, who has loving care for each member of the community. And I think that this is why a lot of us have interpreted this shepherd as God, because surely it is only God who could know, who could feel so intimately the loss of that one piece, that if 99 are there, the rest of us will kind of round up. But Jesus won't. God does not. God is committed to each part of the whole in the same way that as Jesus walks and a woman reaches out to his cloak and he says, what, who has touched me to pull this power from me? God feels it when one of us is drawn away, when one of us becomes isolated or lost or afraid. God feels that fracturing in a way that we have learned to ignore. So perhaps the shepherd is God. Others say that the shepherd is a good version of us. Us, the people who are in community, the people who are stewarding God's creation. The people who could be called church leaders or disciples or members of church communities. The people who have found one another that are tasked with caring for the world around us. Amy Jill Levine writes, 
if he, that is the shepherd, can realize that one of his hundred has gone missing, do we know what or whom we have lost? The shepherd who does pay attention, who doesn't allow this to be glossed over or rounded up, knows that something is missing and puts everything he has into searching for it. And so what if the shepherd is us at our best? That we search for what is lost, that instead of ignoring it or pushing it aside or filling it over with other things, we drop everything and say, I will be made whole again. We will be made whole again. And I will take some of the responsibility for that to search and seek and bring back into wholeness part of this creation which has been lost. So perhaps we are called to be the shepherd. Who are the 99? Who are these sheep that in, in so many tellings and in so many cartoons are just this kind of generic mob? <laughs> the sheep are often understood to be the people of God in some capacity. But we, are, we don't usually imagine ourselves in that role, do we? Perhaps we do. Perhaps you're ahead of me on this and you've spent time meditating on what it's like to be in the 99, led by the shepherd and seeing the lost one gone. But if you haven't, I want to invite you to do that with me now. If you're one of the 99, at some level, like, things are all right, yeah? You got a shepherd, you got a crew, you're grazing, you're not worried about it. You're a part of something. And maybe, I want you to imagine that this is not a static story, that this isn't like one incident that happened, but maybe this is a pattern. Maybe the 99 are accumulated of people who have been the lost one before, but are with the 99 now. Have you ever felt on the outside of something and then on the inside? It feels good, right? It feels really good. And there are a lot of temptations around that, not all of them bad. One of the temptations is to become really insular. Like, I just found you guys. Let's party, let's hang out. I never want to think about it again. Sometimes there are feelings of, of fear or anxiety because enjoying being a part of something reminds you that there was a time when you felt like you weren't. So you want to make sure that never happens again. So you're like, I will be a part of this 99 and I will never find myself on the outside again. So sometimes we become gatekeepers. And we say, like, this is my 99. And if you are lost, well, that's on you. I won't be lost again. I won't be cast out again. And so we, we start to have this mentality of scarcity. This is my 99. We need it. And we need the good shepherd. And we need the shepherd to stay with us. There's only one of that dude. There's 99 of us. Perhaps you've never been lost. You've always felt part of the 99. But we've all seen the lost ones. And we don't want to be that. That sounds horrible. And so perhaps we judge that person. We blame that person for being outside of the whole. And we say, well, you must have done something wrong. I will make sure that I don't do anything wrong so that I can always stay on the inside with the 99, with my people. You might expect as part of this 99 that the primary attention is on you. 
you are the, the biggest hole. When we were gathering at these conferences, I felt like this came up a lot, actually. As we were traveling, we encountered a lot of communities saying, but what about me? And I think that that's a legitimate question. What about me? Where is my place in the church? Where is my place in the kingdom? But one of the things I heard the most was, well, what about my centrist church that just isn't ready to welcome back that lost sheep, the one who was cast out? What about me? There's so many of us. We would become lost. And that's the anxiety of the 99 that says, don't you dare go after that one. The rest of us will be lost. What will happen to my church if queer people and trans people are included and my church can't handle it? What will happen if the church goes after that lost sheep and I, a faithful part of the 99 who has been here, get lost? That fear, that anxiety is real. That is what is driving our systems right now. A couple years ago, I had a conversation with Adam Hamilton. Adam Hamilton is the pastor of the largest United Methodist congregation in the world, and he is one of the people at the forefront of this, these kind of centrist establishment conversations about where to lead. Adam Hamilton started Church of the Resurrection, this now 20,000-member congregation, as a place, as a church, for people who didn't like church. And there is, there is a call on him and on that community to seek out the lost. That's, that's their whole shtick. But now that they've gathered some folks in, like a lot, like 20,000, they're going, oh no, <laughs> let's just keep what we have. Let's kind of, you know, let's mitigate the harm of losing anyone we have versus going after the folks who are still lost. And I remember having a conversation with him and saying, you know, Adam, brother, I know that you have a call to the lost. What you are saying, this path you are advocating, which is a sort of middle of the road, let's keep everybody together, let's hold down the 99 or the 20,000 or whoever you're talking about, is saying we're going to prioritize those folks who have already found a home. We're going to prioritize those folks who are already loved and held in community. I said, Adam, if you go absolutely full inclusive and people leave Church of the Resurrection, they will leave to another church. And if people continue to see as queer folks, as trans folks, that they're not wanted in church, there's no place for us to go. If we want to go after the, the one the one who is lost, we may have to walk away from the 99 or the 20,000. And I know that's terrifying, and I know it doesn't make any sense, but that is our God that does that. That is the example we have in the person of Jesus. There was a text that felt really resonant to me analyzing this. It says, Indeed, it is those shepherds' willingness to go after the one that gives the 99 their security. If the one is sacrificed in the name of the larger group, then each individual in that group is insecure, knowing that he or she or they are of little value. If lost, they will be left to die. 
When the shepherd pays a high price to find the one, he thereby offers the profoundest security to the many. That was Kenneth E. Bailey, if you want to keep track on that. But this is our God, our God who says, I will walk away from the whole, entrusting the whole to itself and to my love. Because that peace that is missing, that is what we all need. This is for all of us. We cannot live in a world where you're just lucky if you're on the inside. That is not how this works. We all are in this together, which means that when anyone is separated, when anyone is lost, we need to find one another, even if it means sacrificing the security we feel we have over here in this majority that may or may not include you. We have to walk away from the 99. If we're the 99, are we holding someone back? Are we holding ourselves back? Where are the places you are unwilling to go because you don't want to risk losing your sense of security, even if it means actually reuniting all and bringing more in so that all can be made whole and you can be made truly whole? Where are we, the 99? At what level are we preventing ourselves and our good shepherd from going out to retrieve the lost? And this last question, who is that lost sheep? Who is that lost sheep? In the Matthew text, the word lost or gone astray in its most literal Greek means to be deceived. This is not a sheep who has chosen to just, you know, throw up some middle fingers and go out on their own. This is not a sheep that's like, I'm too good for y'all. This is a sheep who's been lied to. This is a sheep who got the wrong memo. This is a sheep who wasn't trying to leave. And in fact, this may have been a sheep who was pushed out. A sheep who was told, you, aren't, you don't belong, you're not worthy, you're not one of us. A sheep who has been offered the good news and then retracted that based on lies. The lost one is the one who doesn't remember their own name because they've been told so many times what they are not. The lost one is anyone who has been deceived into thinking that they are not worthy of the shepherd and of the 99. So Amy Jill Levine, who I've, I've already referenced, um, she's a Jewish scholar and she does some incredible work. In her analysis of this, she points toward a Midrashic text uh, the Exodus Rabbah. Uh, Midrash is sort of an ancient commentary on the Hebrew scriptures. So along with, with the scriptures that are considered canonical, the ones who are like, yes, that's from God, there's also this whole beautiful library of interpretation. And there's a story about Moses, Moses who is so important in our history. It says, the Holy One tested Moses by means of the flock, as our rabbis explained, when Moses, our teacher, was tending Jethro's flock in the wilderness, a lamb scampered off, and Moses followed it until it approached a shelter under a rock. As the lamb reached the shelter, it came upon a pool of water 
and stopped to drink. When Moses caught up with it, he said, I did not know that you ran away because you were thirsty. Now you must be tired. And so he hoisted the lamb up on his shoulder and started walking back with it. The Holy One then said, Because you showed such compassion in tending the flock of a mortal, as you live, you shall become the shepherd of Israel, the flock that is mine. And again, I think this teaches us the difference between our assumptions around the flock, around the sheep, around the lost one, and God's. That Moses was being like God, the Holy One, in that moment. Instead of scolding the sheep for walking away, investigating and saying, you were thirsty. And we don't know why the sheep was thirsty. Perhaps Moses, as the shepherd, had not done a good job of tending to the needs of his flock. And that little one had to go somewhere else to get its needs met. Or perhaps the 99 were so crowded around their own well, their own stream, their own sources, that the little one in the back was parched and thirsty and dying. And so had to go its own way. But the good shepherd the one who tends to the whole, who tends to the flock, who loves all creation, goes out, blesses the little one for doing their best, says, you must be so tired, lifts them up onto his shoulders and brings them back home. There are so many who are so thirsty. I am so thirsty, and I am so tired of having to fight for my spring water. Are you thirsty? And yet I know what it is like to drink from that stream. I know what it is like to be held in community. I know what it's like to be a part of this community and to be held by God. I want to be a part of the 99 that charges out with the shepherd to retrieve those ones who have been deceived, who have been cast out, who have been told that there's nothing here for them to drink, and I want to help carry them back, nourish them, and bring them home. Will you join me in that? Let us be all the ones that go out. What if the shepherd didn't have to leave the 99 because the 99 followed the shepherd to the margins, to the lost one? We'd be reunited a lot faster. And so, my Zhao community, my community among the living, if you are feeling in this moment so far away, know that we are coming for you and we know you're tired and thirsty. And if you are feeling even a little nourished, come on the journey. Let us find one another, our family who has been torn apart. Let us reunite in the name of our good shepherd who loves us, who shows us the way. We're about to enter a season where Zhao is out in a lot of public spaces, including Pride Fest. And there are a lot, of, a lot of folks at Pride Fest who have been fed a lot of lies. Am I right? 
we need to go out. We need to leave our little grove here. We need to go out and care for folks, carry them to safety. And if there are folks who are not ready to leave the the pool of water under their rock because they don't yet believe we are trustworthy, we honor that. And also, we never stop letting them know that there is a stream of life to draw from, that we are willing to carry one another when we are too tired. And that is actually for all of us that we be reunited, that we will walk away from the 99, like our God, because we feel that separation and we trust that like the shepherd, we will feel the fullness of that 100 coming back together so much that we can do nothing but celebrate. The end of every one of these lost parables is a party, is a celebration where the main characters in these stories call everyone they know and they say, we did it, we're back, we're whole. Let's party, let's celebrate, let's dance, let's laugh, let's be joyful because we made it. And so in those moments where we feel like we are just in the desert on our own or in the desert trying to find those who we know are lost, hold out for that after party, y'all, because it is coming and it is going to be epic. And it will only be truly celebratory when every one of us is there, when every one of us has our thirst quenched, when every one of us has been carried through our exhaustion back into fullness, wholeness, and love. And we get to be a part of that. And as we are a part of that, we get to trust that we will never be left behind. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you are a God who remembers and remembers us into the fullness of our family. Help us to recognize who is lost, including ourselves. Help us do whatever it takes to find one another and you. Help us to celebrate every piece of us that comes back into wholeness in anticipation of that eternal celebration when all is made right. You are good, God. You are the good shepherd. Lead us the way. Amen. That shit's scary, right?